0: A little bit just about your background and how you became interested in the subject of refugees that were left behind in Germany after the war, after World War II.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm a U.S. historian, um, born and bred in New York City. I'm an American Jew. I have always been interested or or recently been very interested. Ever since I did my biography of Joseph Kennedy on the post-war period. And one of the things historians do, and I in particular attempt to do, is to correct the historical record, to fill in the gaps, to undo the mistakes. And one of the grand mistakes Americans have made in understanding World War II in the post-war period, and we've, we've done it because there was no, no battles fought on American soil, no bombs landed here. There are no trenches, no fallen soldiers, sailors or Marines. We think that when the war was over, when the fighting stopped and the American soldiers came home, everything was peaceful. Um, In May of 1945, the Germans surrendered. And and again, it was the American misconception that the sun came out to rise. Uh, Everything was glorious. Well, What I discovered, and and I discovered it by happenstance, because everybody's talking about immigrants now. What I discovered that was that when the war was over, there were a million refugees left in Germany with no place to go home to like the Jews or who refused to go home for a variety of reasons. And my book is about that last million. They were comprised of Polish, mostly young Poles, who had been kidnapped and brought into Germany to do the work that had once been done by soldiers who were now at the front.
0: These are non-Jews. These are non-Jews.
1: These are non-Jews. Non-Jews. The second group, non-Jews were Lithuanians, Latvians, Estonians, and Ukrainians who came to Germany and stayed in Germany after the war because they had, many of them, been collaborators with the Nazi occupation and knew if they returned home to Latvia, Lithuania, Ukraine, they would be punished for their collaboration. And the third group that comprised the last million the refugees stuck in Germany when the war was over were the Jews. In the beginning, there were maybe 40 to 50,000 Jews in Germany. They had been moved there by the Nazis at the end of the war from Auschwitz, from Bergenau, from Stutthof, from all of the death camps because the Germans decided that it would be better to work the Jews to death, than to gas them. And they didn't want the world to see the extent of their crimes against humanity. So in the beginning, there were a small number, 40 to 50,000 out of a million. In 1946, the 200 to 250,000 Polish Jews who had survived the war and survived the Holocaust only because they had crossed the border into the Soviet Union and worked at hard labor in the Asiatic reaches of the Soviet Union, but survived, survived. When the war was over, they came back to Poland, realized that they could not resume their lives in Poland, because the anti-Semitism was worse than it had been. There were pogroms, there was violence, there was murder. The returning Jews were told, we thought you were dead. There's no place for you in the new Poland. The only place on earth that they felt safe in Europe was in Germany, in the displaced persons camps run by the Americans. So they crossed borders back into Poland. So by 1946, one quarter quarter million of the displaced persons left behind in displaced persons camps in Germany
0: with the Jews. What was the um, international refugee organization and was it effective at all in solving the refugee issue?
1: In the beginning for the first year after the war, um, UNRWA, the United Nations Relief and Rehabilitation Agency, administration, was in charge of the displaced persons. Roosevelt had been instrumental in bringing together 80 countries to belong to UNRWA, the United Nations Organization. But its task only was to repatriate all of the refugees. When it became clear that a million of them weren't going to accept repatriation, the Americans and the British founded a new international organization called the International Refugee Organization, and its task was to resettle the last million. Now, they IRO had an easy time resettling the Latvians, the Ukrainians, the Poles, all but the Jews, because the world suffered from a labor shortage when the war was over. Europe suffered from a labor shortage. And Canada, Australia, and Latin America always believed that they needed more laborers, that they were underpopulated. So they invited in for resettlement. Everyone but the Jews. They kept the Jews out. They didn't offer the Jews citizenship or resettlement because they believed that the Jews were too clannish, that the Jews didn't know how to do hard labor. They should have taken a look at what was going on in Palestine at the time. Um, But they didn't. They believed, moreover, that the Jews were subversives. One of, you know, there's those, I've learned as a historian, there's no such thing as anti-Semitism, singular. There are anti semitisms plural. Every period has its own anti-Semitic images, language, uh, codes. And in the years after World War II, nobody was going to mouth what Hitler had said. But instead, they claimed that the Jews couldn't become citizens of Canada, Australia, the United States. Why? Because they were Bolsheviks at heart. it's, It's absurd. It's a canard. It's a myth. It's a libel. And yet, it became a dominant theme. And why? Because 200,000 of the Jews who were now in the camps had spent time in the Soviet Union. That didn't make them communists. It made them, if anything, anti-communist. But the myth was
0: used over and over again to keep the Jews out. You, you, you write in the book that, that um, at some point, one of the issues was that Um, the the powers, said that um, we're not looking at race. We're looking at country of origin. So if you came from Poland, you're Polish. If you came from Latvia, you're Latvian, whether you're Christian, Jewish, or whatever. Why, Why couldn't this standard be held by countries like Canada looking at, well, they're Polish, they're Polish, and that's it. They're not Jews, they're simply Sounds like there's one standard that they tried to use in Europe and then for resettlement it's another standard. It was
1: you know, it's again another absurdity of 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 history, but a tragic one, that when the war was over, in, in large part because I mean there are multiple reasons, but when the displaced persons, the last million refugees were sorted out and put into camps, the Americans and the British and the UN decided that they would be sorted out by the last country that they had resided in, which meant that for the Latvian Jews, they were put into the same camps with men who had been their guards at camps, at death camps with men who had sent their families into the killing fields to be slaughtered. It was only in three months after the war ended that Truman sent an emissary, an investigator, to Germany to look at what was going on with the Jews. And that emissary, a law professor, not a Jew, came back and said, we got to stop doing this. We are doing the same thing to the Jews that the Germans did. We're putting them in camps. And they're suffering in those camps. We've got to give the Jews their own sites, their own camps, for Jews only. And we've got to give them extra rations, extra medical care. We've got to send Yiddish speakers into these camps. And more than that, we have to pressure the British This is what the report of Truman's emissary said, and Truman accepted the report. We have to pressure the British to open Palestine to the Jewish displaced persons.
0: So so based on that, um, it sounds like you might be painting a picture that the U.S. played a very positive role vis-a-vis the refugees in terms of position Jews to Palestine, pressuring the British? Or was it more the argument during the war was the best thing we can do for the Jewish people is to win the war. The best thing now we can do for the Jewish people is to maintain order in a chaotic um, Europe and Germany. Yeah, it's a, it's a very good question.
1: And, and you're right. the The Americans, Truman knew... Truman knew that anti-Semitism in the United States, especially this new anti-Semitism, which is founded on the Judeo-Bolshevik you know, myth, was such that he wasn't going to be allowed to get the laws passed to let the Jewish displaced persons into the United States. So he had to get them out of Germany because the American taxpayer wasn't going to fund refugee camps for a quarter million Jews in Germany. And the Jews, it it was this tragic irony. How in God's name could the Americans be responsible for keeping Jews in camps in Germany indefinitely? So Truman had to get them out of Germany. The only place he could get them out of Germany was to Palestine. And, And Truman believed, though the State Department told him it would never happen, Truman believed he could pressure the British into doing so. When he realized he couldn't do that. He tried again to get a law passed by Congress to let the Jews into the United States. A law was passed in 1948, allowing displaced persons to enter the United States, but not Jews. The law officially discriminated against Jews, against everyone who had been in Poland, the Soviet Union after the war, even for a couple of months. So it was in 1948 that Truman, after trying to get the Jews out of Germany into Palestine, in 1948, after the British had given up their mandate to the UN, Truman tries again to get the UN now, not the British, to do something about the Jews. And Truman supports partition. And then when partition fails under the U.N., he supports the independence of the state of Israel. The Americans recognize Israel about three or four minutes after Ben-Gurion reads the Declaration of Independence.
0: What what was the role during that period before 48 of the military? Uh, I I actually um, yesterday read an excerpt from your book, to my wife, quoting uh, passages that you had on on the great hero General Patton and the language that he used (laughs) about the Jews and the refugees. Um, But we, there's a perception that the military obviously were heroes. They liberated the camps. Um, You know, you, you have all these soldiers who, you know, emotionally distraught as they come into the camps. They're hugging the inmates. What was the general role of Military during the period,
1: the military ignored the Jews, wanted nothing to do with them, except for that small number of Jews who were in the military, especially the Jewish chaplains who were attached to the army. But by and large, the American soldiers were like the Americans, you know, um, and and their images of what the Jewish People were like were exaggerated when the camps were opened. Um, the, the army, you know, the average soldier fled in disgust, uh, in front, confronted by these skeletal figures that came out of the camps. Eisenhower was different, General Eisenhower and surprised me, is is one of the heroes of this book. He had originally ignored the Jews because he, God knows, he had a war to win and he hadn't paid attention to the Jews who were left behind in Germany. When Truman said to him, do something about the Jews, Eisenhower jumped to it and he went to all the camps and he made sure that the camps that had Jews and non-Jews were cleared of the non-Jews. He made sure that the Jews were given extra space. He made sure that the Jews were given the opportunity to to provide their own guards and their own police and and decide their own living arrangements and their own feeding arrangements. And then Eisenhower did something that was just, you know, unbelievable at the time. Certainly the general patent. It was one of the more vicious anti-Semites. For those of you who have a chance to read my book, I'm not going to quote him here, but read the excerpts from Patton's diary about the Jews. Um, Eisenhower, and again, to Patton's disgust, attended um, services, um, Yom Kippur services. I mean, he went into a makeshift temple and he sat there through the services. He visited the Jews in their dormitories, in their camps. And then he ordered his officers from the top down. And this is one of the reasons why he got rid of Patner. In the end, he ordered his officers to, to take care of the Jews. Now, there's a difference between ordering your officers to be kind to the Jews and getting the ordinary American soldier who had never seen a Jew before, who had grown up thinking Jews, you know, had horns coming out of the top of their heads to, um, to behave civilly. But from Eisenhower to his officers, the instructions were, treat these people with respect and dignity and understand the suffering that they've gone through.